geoholic. We're coming fast and furious, buddy. I mean, we're, we in, the, we're, up. we're in the hot seat right I'm now. <laughs> Hope my voice will hold out. This, is, uh, this has been amazing. I'm sure it'll be fine. Absolutely. Uh, but we are joined by a couple guys. Uh, really excited to have this conversation with these familiar guys. Familiar company, new, new people. For sure, for sure. Let's do quick self-introductions. Aaron, why don't you go first? Just name who you're with and kind of what you do. Sure. I'm Aaron Newby, the Director of Sales for the Americas with Emicent. Uh, we are a LiDAR company, a pretty unique product because we have full autonomy on drones mm. and completely modular. Yeah. So use it anywhere. It's pretty awesome. That is very cool. And do you live in Australia? I do not. The name tag lies. <laughs> I'm actually based in Phoenix, Arizona, but we have our U.S. headquarters or America's headquarters here in Denver. So you do know that we are in Phoenix, don't you? I did not know that. You did not know that. How have we not How met? have we not met? That's I mean, amazing. Could have been in studio. I know. I missed we'll the have you this back. week, and I was kind of upset about that, but I'm happy to be here. Yeah, for sure. Well, we'll, uh, we'll hook up in Phoenix for sure. Definitely. Matt. Hey, I'm jealous that you all live down there in sunny Phoenix. <laughs> you uh, can move there, too. Yeah. yeah. Free Fly is based out of Woodenville, Washington, just right outside of Seattle. So yeah. Okay. Nice and uh, rainy. Uh, we get uh, lots of fun testing up there, though. So uh, my name is Matt Eisenbarger, uh, Chief Revenue Officer at FreeFly Systems. Um, FreeFly has been around for over a decade, making all sorts of technology products, but specifically drones, gimbals, cameras, and all the fun accessories that, that go along with them. Uh, quickly dominated the cinema industry um, and the heavy lift market, and uh, we have since um, really focused on this industrial and commercial applications of surveying and mapping and Super excited to talk about our new partnership partnership with Emerson today. So cool! Yeah, we're excited to hear about it. I'm very curious. It's hard to keep up with technology because it advances so rapidly. So, your your aircraft. Talk about like the most robust one. Like, what is what is the payload now? What is the flight time? So we have two aircraft right now, the Alta-X, which can carry 35 pounds of payload, and Astro, which can carry three and a half pounds of payload. And, uh, you know, we do a ton of testing. We document all that testing on our website and really are known for that reliability and, yep. and, and the free flight system brand. Awesome. Awesome. So, Aaron, talk about the partnership a little bit and what it means to your company. Sure. It's a big deal for us. Uh, one, because... The Chinese drone manufacturers, they're getting kicked out. There are so many industries where they're no longer available to be used, and having a blue drone partner is big for us. Uh, the second real benefit for us is the capability for full autonomy, collision avoidance on their system, and the full integration. Yeah. It took a long time to get to this point uh, to basically enable the hover map to take over the aircraft and fly it beyond visual line of sight. You touch a button hit go and it, it just flies off on its own and does the job comes back you won't even see it you won't even hear it you just cross your fingers and it comes back every time <laughs> is it like at least a 98 percent success rate i can't say that <laughs> so, funny, right? so what does it mean to your company it's it's incredible adding this type of autonomy to astro opens up whole new worlds for us so uh, most drones rely on GPS to navigate and understand where they are in the world, but adding the hover map removes that need. So we can fly under bridges, in tunnels, underground mines, you know, in the most challenging environments out there without GPS. Um, and you have full autonomy to, to not run into anything. And How does that work? It, it's the innocent payload. Is, I mean, come on. If he told you, he'd have to kill you. <laughs> 
It's the MSN payload. Uh, they've got a LiDAR that's spinning around 360 degrees and yeah. it's scanning its entire environment to understand where all those objects are around your aircraft and keep you from avoiding running into them. That's amazing. So you don't even need GPS. That's right. It's like an autonomous vehicle. Absolutely. Same type thing. Completely autonomous. Like Waymo. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you think of Waymo? I see it every day. And I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, you're, you're from our it's area. It's very yeah. concerning. Yeah. 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 Have you taken one yet? No, I. Yeah. No. I have a car. Sean's a big man. fan. I'm a big fan. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've taken, taken quite a bit. <laughs> I bet I have a lot. I, I haven't seen as much as you have, so I have some trust that you probably don't have because you know how the how the sausage is made, so to yeah. speak. <laughs> seen behind the curtain. Right. That's funny. <laughs> So talk about, you mentioned it briefly, maybe a couple of use cases for the, the, the different hardwares. Sure. MSN was born in the mines. Yeah. So we sure. were initially purpose-built to get into the deepest, darkest places where you cannot send a human being. Uh, so essentially, you know, you want to be able to safely scan areas, uh, drop it in, set a waypoint, have it go do its thing, and come back. Since then, we've expanded into several different use cases. Uh, like you said, bridge scanning is huge for us. Uh, you know, typically they would use a terrestrial scanner, shut the bridge down, have people on top for 45 minutes an hour. Now you can fly one side, fly underneath, fly the other side uh, with full confidence that you're not going to run into anything that you can't see. Yep. Uh, we are gaining forestry. Uh, oil and gas is big for us too. Getting underneath the rigs safely where you can't send people yep. uh, is a huge benefit. That's awesome. That's awesome. So it's almost like, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, the sky's the limit. It's just like how creative you can be for these different applications. True. Right? Yeah. Well, it doesn't it more get into all the things that you thought you couldn't do before you can now are available, right? And like yeah. you, you never thought that you can get up and in, up and under the bridge. And, and yeah. I mean, do you, and where do you think, I guess my question is, so you, you already identified a whole bunch of areas that you didn't have access to before where do you think you're at as far as that timeline are you still are you halfway in where there's still a lot more use cases that you haven't discovered yet or or where do you think you're at in that evolution yeah there truly are every client that buys one they buy it for a specific purpose and what we hear is you know we started using it over here doing this one job then other people in the organization see it they want to use it. They want us to come on site and do different jobs. So it expands exponentially once it gets in their hands because they take it off the drone. They walk around with it. They put it on a car. They use RTK. They use 360 camera. They have so many different options with it that it really just explodes into these different use cases. Yeah. So interesting. So do your clients typically come to you with a problem and then you figure out a solution? Is that a typical workflow or... Yeah. yeah, that's a lot of it. And, uh, you know, adding the Innocent uh, hover map to the FreeFly Astro really opens up those capabilities to especially to customers who may have been you know, nervous or uh, afraid to fly in those very challenging environments. Right. It just gives them that vote of confidence that this thing is going to work. And even in these difficult, um, you know, nooks and crannies and, and the undersides of the bridge where photogrammetry and a, a regular camera would fail and just too dark to, to see what's going on in there, the lighter the lighter shines. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any where you said you set a waypoint and it just goes? What if you can't set that? Like, 
as far as true exploration where you haven't even navigated to? Is that that happens all the time? There's a lot of mines that have haven't been explored in years. They right. want to go back so, in there and figure out what they have. Yeah, so you couldn't tell it, hey, go over here because you don't even know where there is, right? Yeah, exactly. But you can set a virtual waypoint. Just set a waypoint out there. The hover map will take off on the free fly. It'll explore the area on its own. It'll try to get there. It has built-in AI. So it'll go one way, go another way. And if it gets to the waypoint, it'll do a scan, come home. And if it finally gives up and says, I just can't make it, it'll come home uh, as well automatically. It's freaking crazy. <laughs> I know, <That's> right? <laughs> I don't even know what to think about that. Um, so what? Like, what's so? All right, so you got all this figured out. <laughs> now, what's next, and what else yeah. are you? I mean, are you still in the all the different ways that we can use this, or what's the next? Is it smaller and lighter, or more more points and more data? Where, where what direction do you guys see yourselves going? Uh, there's. You know, the sky's the limit. I think you guys uh, hit the nail on the head there. The, the applications are endless, and as folks start to use it, they come up with new applications every day. And because they have the trust and the reliability and that it's just going to work and not run into anything, they're thinking, they're coming up with those ideas of how to solve their own problems. So, yep. um, you know, it, it, there's all sorts of issues with uh, GPS all over the world going on right now with geopolitical things too. So even your above ground, uh, you know, kind of typical flight, there's, you know, encountering issues with GPS right now. So having to not rely on that sensor, it's all sorts of new applications coming there that we haven't thought of as well. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, question for you. How has the, like, how has the hover map evolved, like from the first generation to the current generation? Sure. Oh, yeah. So we, uh, the initial unit, heavily robust. The newer units are all IP65. Uh, they have long range radio on them now. So if we do need to do some very, very long scans, we can get a kilometer, kilometer and a half away and wow. still maintain that connectivity. Freefly has the capability to eliminate the long range radio because we're actually using their controller to communicate with the hover map and and fly it at longer distances. So it gives us capabilities that we've never had before, uh, which is another great reason we have this partnership. So cool. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many jobs that are dangerous and impossible to reach places. And yep. so having this, being able to put this sensor in new and, and challenging environments and getting up on those really high, hard to reach places adds all sorts of value for these customers. Add value, make friends. Yeah. We say it all the time. That's what we do here. <laughs> and and you can pull it off the drone as well and use it handheld, right? Yeah, right. And, yeah. and stick it on other vehicles as well. So, I mean, the, the applications yeah. for the hover map are really, really endless. And with a lot of the traditional LIDARs out there, they just point and face one direction. So, you're really yeah. only scanning in, in one specific direction where the hover map spins around. And so, you're getting 360-degree coverage. Awesome. So, those all those nooks and crannies and those really hard-to-create 3D models, the hover map just knocks them out. Yep. Yep. Well, I got to cool. say, you guys uh, obviously are very excited about this partnership. You've done a fantastic job promoting it. Uh, what else? What are you guys excited about? Uh, we're excited to hear how customers use it. You know, I'm, uh, we're just getting them out the, there right now for our first customers. And so we can't wait to hear their feedback and see all yeah. the fun applications that, that they, uh, they put them into. Uh, there's been a ton of rain in California recently. Yep. And so um, the... 
Department of Transportation down there is dealing with over 800 landslides right now. And so wow. trying to get those roads back open and traffic flowing again, as you can imagine, is, is a challenge to say the least. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that's just one application that I'm super excited to see, you know, how customers put this to use and, and help everybody, you know, across that state and others to, to get back to their daily lives. Yep. Yep. Well said. Aaron, really cool. You got the last word, my friend. Oh boy. Here we go. <laughs> uh, I will say this, that, you know, I've been with MSN for two years now and the growth and capabilities of the company, uh, everything is done internally. So all of our research development ideas, we listen to our clients, we listen to our partners and everything we do is purpose driven for specific use cases and we really care about what we do and a partnership like this kind of speaks volumes about where we want to be in the future i love it just a feel-good conversation it really is it's yes. like one of those collaborations that like they both are working like get, i know it, like it's a win-win like and peanut butter and jelly win-win and everyone benefits <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> well, hey, thank you guys it's been great really yeah, appreciate your time so. Great to meet you. Have enjoyed the show. Thanks. Thank you. All right, here we are. We're back again. This might be a record for single day interviews. No, maybe. maybe. It's going oh, to approach it. I think by the end of the day, we it's might It's only 2 o'clock. Oh, okay. Wow. We got two more hours. <laughs> it's fine. Bye. Yeah, for sure. All right. Another, uh, another, another familiar guest and a new one. Yep. Yep. And uh, looking forward to having this conversation with both of these guys. Absolutely. Quick introductions. Why don't you just name who you're with, obviously we know, and what you do. And uh, why don't you go first? Yeah, sure. Hi, Stefan Prober. Um, that voice sounds familiar. You've heard me <laughs> once or twice before. Yeah, right. Yeah. OG. So, uh, founder and, or co-founder and chief strategy officer at Emerson's, and we developed the Homomap product. Right on. All right. Hi, Go ahead, I'm my Mike Russell Lisi. I'm the co-founder of SiteScout360, okay. and we use the Hover Map. Okay. I got I got to know more. Oh, this right. is good. <laughs> I have not heard of SiteScout360, so I'm really excited okay, for cool. you to tell us all about it. Great. So um, we're a service provider to go out and collect data for the as-built world. Um, we started this about two years ago, um, understanding that when I would watch uh, some folks go out and do standard measurements with their engineering and, and uh, design teams, uh, there was five people on site, and they were then writing it down with their hands. And I was like, what, what is that? That doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. We have 20 years doing software, right? And so... Mm -hmm. We were able to start collecting data with uh, with LiDAR, uh, with the mobile LiDAR, and it turned into recognizing that it's about a 98% efficiency to do it this way versus the old way. And um, we were able to collect multitudes more data in a weekend than an entire team to do it for uh, 16 days straight, right? Yeah. So we ultimately said, that makes sense as a business. We should probably look into this. Uh, so we were able to do that, and it turned into a really neat situation for us to start out. And then the um, hover map kind of came in into play as, as an option that actually started my business. Oh. We, we, we got one, and we're like, oh, we should do this now. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And what is this partnership meant to Emerson then? I mean, obviously, having customers that are out there using the product and giving us feedback and pushing the limits helps us to develop 
know, new features and make the, the product better. So it's, it's been awesome having the sites guy, guys being out there. And you'll hear some of the, the crazy and innovative things they've done and, and how it's helped us learn and, and yeah. sort, of build, sort of build that into our product roadmap. To, yeah, awesome. Out. Tell us about some of the crazy things you've done with it. So we invented uh, what we call Rolly. Um, Rolly is a rig in which we walk around with our, our hover mat. And uh, the reason why we did that is because we're very focused on uh, ergonomics, right? Okay. So to go out and do a space like this is 93 to 95,000 square feet. That's going to be two 20 to 20 minute walks to do it. And uh, just holding a hover map or, you know, you'll see a lot of people around here walking around and holding. It, it's not tenable if you want to scale up a business around it. Right. So we ended up saying we need to do something. So I had a garage and I spent a lot of time in my garage figuring out the problems of putting a hover map into a rolling situation that allows us to have a consistent way of collecting this data. And um, turns out that it's also adorable looking. <laughs> And people Did you model it after like uh, SpongeBob or something? No, <laughs> but it does have googly eyes. Although the googly eyes right now are in the dogs. So, um, uh, okay, I've, okay. I've, 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 I've pasted, I've handed that over. We said it's rolly, not squarey. It's not squarey. It's exactly the opposite <laughs> of know. Sponge. It's SpongeBob round pants. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if that makes it any. It, it does. Uh, so by doing this, we, you know, we had to overcome a few a few hurdles because when we're doing indoor space with HoverMap. It's not built for that. It's built for mines. It's built for flying on drones. So it's pointing its camera down. Okay. And that doesn't really help me if I need to colorize points on a wall or on a <laughs> ceiling. So we always have to angle it up. And walking with it angled up so that I can get that colorization because colorization is important to us on our AEC stuff. It turns out that it was really, really hard to do that. And so it took five different marks for us to get it to where it is today. And it turns out that it is an absolutely, you know, vital piece uh, to making it work. And and while we were doing it, we're like, oh, we're also adding a 360 camera on top. And we brought the 360 camera last year and showed you guys Rolly because uh, we didn't see you the year before because of COVID. Um, but then we saw everybody next, last year and you saw Rolly pictures bound with the, the adorable rolling uh, Emerson hover map. And... Since then, you know, we've been talking about this 360 stuff with them for a couple of years now and saying, hey, we're using it because the 360 video is an, a really, really important, like, non-technical deliverable we give. Okay. Because what we do is we go collect the data, we and then we deliver a 360 video, the point cloud, and, and a Revit model. Hmm. It's really simple. Yeah. And we do it all on, on HoverMap. And now HoverMap's putting the 360 directly in so we can colorize eventually. Um, point clouds off of the 360 video, so I don't necessarily have to make all of the concessions I did two or three years ago. So now it's more of a, a traditional uh, uh, data collect. Interesting. So I just noticed your hat. I'm assuming that's Rolly. That is Rolly One. Yes. <laughs> Rolly One. That's great. Do you have a Rolly here? Rolly is here. All right. Rolly, Rolly always makes out. the trip. Yeah, For absolutely. Sure. Yeah. So what did you think about Rolly the first time you saw it? No, like I said, it was great to see the, the innovation. I mean, innovation, we, had, we yeah. hadn't thought of about doing something like that to, to see have a customer. Yep. Obviously, if, you, if you're if scanning huge areas, you're not the one carrying this thing around sort of in your hand. And, and like you said, the consistency. So having something that's mounted mm. in, a, in a way that's capturing data consistently. Yep. Um, and they were so, like you said, they, they bolted on a, a, a pano camera capturing video separately. 
and they managed to do their own job of stitching or time syncing the video to our LiDAR data. Um, and we've had the same feedback from, from, from many others, like with Hovermap, it's great, but you know, great to have panoramic images or 360 video. So that's what we've gone and done is uh, taken their feedback and, and that's what we've launched basically at, at the show today is well, this week is uh, our panoramic image add-on. Oh, really? So, oh, okay. Yeah. So, so is that incorporated into the hover map? How do, it's a, like like most of our hover map accessories, it's an add-on optional okay. thing. So it's basically a, cool. a GoPro Hero Max on a yep. ext- extending pole that mounts very neatly to the hover map handle. Yeah. Um, so you capture the GoPro data, 360 data, of map data and then our software automatically syncs it up it's awesome exports the pano images georeferenced to the point cloud and that goes into third-party tools like point terror and into bentley you yep. can view the pano images and the point clouds together um, not yet colorizing the point cloud with the 360 but that's going to be released in the next couple of months so, sure. yeah. yep yep so back to capturing the 360 video mm-hmm. as you're scanning and then you had to like, and you could probably relate to this. Sure. How did you line that up? I mean, that's, I mean, was it easy or is it? So our first attempt at this yeah. was, was really interesting. Um, we're not doing anything where we're like, it's like, oh, I can reveal. And, then, you know, we, we started with that concept and that went away kind of quick uh, because it's hard. If you're not going to do it, you know. And to be honest, we're actually doing some work with some um, SBIR stuff, so some innovation research money to do something like this for some under-peer stuff where mm-hmm. we have our 360 camera happening. Yeah. And what happens is if you have separate 360 video from wherever your hover map is, it may or may not be in the same position all the time. And because we mm-hmm. currently we're using Insta360, it has its stabilization effect and it has its own IMU and it, don't, it, it, it can drift on its own. So what we ended up finding was that it's much better just to simplify for the people who are going to be our customers who are going to receive this data. We ultimately just make a plan view that has a timestamp of a trajectory. It says, oh, yeah, here, about a minute 10, we're walking around this corner. If that's what you want to look at, scrub to there. Right? So Uh, our goal is to keep it so we're not giving our customers anything hard to do. Right? Interesting. Well, because then your customers are primarily in the AEC space, right? Like the they're the civil guy or the yeah. the, the architect that yeah. it not, not necessarily they know what to do with a point cloud, but they don't need the whole damn thing and have to navigate through it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're trying to get them to the exactly what they need in that one spot. Well, let's be honest; no one knows what to do with a point cloud, all right? So, <laughs> right. <laughs> There's, as I said, there's only 1% of 1% of people who can look at a point cloud and actually make something of it. Sure. I think they're all here today. Yes, they are so, all here. So let's hope nothing goes bad. <laughs> um, but ultimately, yeah, our, our focus is like we have the data, which is over here. We have a customer over here who has no idea what it is. We're the center of the bow tie, right? We just want to make sure that we take all this crazy stuff that's over here and make it you know, digestible for other people over here who just don't really generally see this. Our goal here is to just inform that this exists also. I mean, uh, geospatial world, the outside world, drones, all of that stuff, that's becoming the norm. People get it Mm -hmm. now. Inside is wild. It's before the Wild West. It's ridiculous. There's nothing attacking it that, and it's all, it doesn't matter where it is. It could be here or Belgium or Tokyo. Inside space is inside space. Yep. It's a huge, huge opportunity. 
right? So that's why we're like, okay, well, let's let's scale this. Let's make sure that we can work with tools, and HoverMap gives us that opportunity because this, this slam that comes out of it, the point clouds are almost readable by normal people, right? Because they're really, really good. Um, when we do the 360, we're not trying to overwork that, you know? We went down a path of trying to over overlay it in Unreal and do fun stuff like that. And yeah, that's fun, and I want to do more of it, but it doesn't pay. Yes. <laughs> so right. we, we come back to how simple can we do this so that we can do it 100 times, and, and that's that's what we come up with. Interesting. So you talked about you know point clouds. Obviously, we can collect more data than ever now between point clouds, 360 video, 360 imagery. How, how, how are people managing these large data sets? So HoverMap helps with that tremendously, right? So by default, the output that comes from that is already pretty lean for what we're talking about. In fact, you know, we just had a customer come to us and say, hey, we just did a... Um, a scan, I can't use this data. My my computer does not open this. <laughs> and we said, well, I bet you for the amount of money that it would cost to get me to do this same thing and the amount of time that it would take, um, I'm going to save you money, even though you'll collect it twice. Right, yeah. yeah. You know, so... Well, if you can't do anything with it, <laughs> you can't, we can't do it, you know. Well, man. we did that too. Someone, someone gave us a 3,000 square foot space with a P8 and it had a, a billion points. And it took more time for us to bring that down to 10% of points than it took us to model it. And I'm just like, the, the, the yeah. economies of scale don't really make sense. So when we get it from, from out, output from HoverMap, I can predict that you know a 20 minute walk is gonna be two gigs, right? right. And two gigs, you can dump that into any situation. And, you know, uh, Stefan was saying the different outputs that they that support. I just use um, poetry for my stuff, too, right? So and it, it works great, you know. So the concept of so much data, we're trying to minimize that as well because the customer don't doesn't want to deal with that either. And, you know, what are you going to do? Have them download 20 gigabytes of data? Well, yeah. Do you, really. do, you, do you spend your spend your time educating your customer on what they actually need and why, or is it this is you know you actually don't want a hundred gigs. You only need one. To be honest, what we tell them is that point clouds are auditable. Okay. All right. So if you want to verify that what we just did and modeled is real, open the point cloud, take a look at it. Other than that, don't touch it. Right. Right? You're just going to get yourself mired in this, like, crazy, like, spiral of Alice in Wonderland, and you're just gonna be, you're not going to know what's going on, right? So we try to minimize that piece, and we just say, hey, look, here is your output. Your output is three things. Simple. Focus your efforts on the 360 video to make sure that you have a site view of the entire thing. And then when we give you your models from our HoverMap point clouds, understand this is the tolerance we're, we're modeling to you know we're not going to be doing ridiculous millimeter you know we don't do that and we say you guys use revit so i don't have to invent revit for them right you guys can watch a 360 video on every computer ever and your iphone and whatever it just not even an add-on right and the point cloud if you can use it as an audit okay 
yeah, well, you have you gotta have some some kind of QC here, right? Or some kind right. of you know they're they're gonna trust it, but what, what is it the trust but verify? Like they're gonna you're gonna pull it in and then go and okay, let's just take a couple. I mean, I, I see that that makes sense. Uh, yeah, definitely another great partnership. Yeah, it seems like you, you, you guys must be really good. Guys to work are, are really but... really lining up the partnerships yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh well, we can't do it all ourselves, so it definitely makes sense to, to team up. And yeah, no, it's 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 great. It's great Humble us. as well. I like it. I like it. We can't do it all ourselves yet. <laughs> what uh, what what else are you guys excited about? So overall, um, Stefan alluded to it, but um, we've got um, just the integration of the three hundred and sixty stuff, right? So sure, we've had to deal with you know, managing our own 360 outside of this. But as we start identifying these different opportunities, we're bringing it back to the team, right? So we have, I want to say at least monthly conversations with their software team and, and us being a 20 year software company and then coming into this Mm -hmm. space, uh, we love adding stuff to their backlog. Um, it is, it is a fun, fun idea that we have some level of influence over what's going on there. And I have backlog items that are now just being com- completed from <laughs> four years ago. But it's awesome. Yeah. You know, and that's one yeah. reason why we really like working with these guys is that we understand that, you know, we're being heard. Yeah. That's a really yeah, big thing. And it takes time to build software. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm not the most, like, I'm not sitting here saying, please do my stuff right now. I'm just saying, I hope that what we help you guys with, you know, brings, you know, more people to the platform because we want to make sure that everyone understands that the, the differences of this platform versus all the other ones and why they're good. All of the other ones are good. There's reasons for everybody. Mm-hmm. And like I said before, this whole space that we're talking about, there could be 4,000 of us and we're not even making a dent. It, it is that big, right? So we're just lucky to be at MSN because... Stephanie and I were talking earlier. Phase one of this whole thing of like mobile data collect was can we do it? Right. To the point where we're doing it. We're doing it really well. Right. Phase two is bringing in that sensor integration, bringing in the out, the outside stuff, yep. right? making sure that we can do some things. Because data collect, everyone's going to be data collecting. Yay. Making all of that usable is going to be like the next big thing for sure yeah Yeah, and that's what i was thinking it seems like it that means you're in a sense you're giving less because the less the less size and the less you're giving you the more usable it is yeah yeah Yeah. all right Stefan, you got the last word my friend um yeah no i mean you asked what what else is exciting i mean obviously working with these guys is great and i do want to tie that into one other thing that we've been part another partnership and that's our partnership with point terra so it's another great Australian company that's obviously got a global presence so talking about 360 images obviously we're getting to the point where we can export the images and the point clouds but then you need the viewer to 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 view those together and to manage the the, the data so Pointera is one example of the partner we've we've worked with and now our hover map data goes seamlessly into the Pointera cloud platform so you can view your images and your LIDAR data side by side and we've we've generated a couple of standard outputs for other other platforms as well, and we're making it easy for other anybody else to be able to ingest our kind of data. Um, so, yeah. hey, congratulations! This Thank is you. awesome. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, it's really impressive what you guys are doing over there. So. Yeah. 
Uh, thank you guys for your yeah. time. I'm good seeing you again, of course. Mike, great to meet you. Great to yeah. meet you guys. Yeah, appreciate you guys stopping by. Enjoy yeah. the rest of the show. Well, yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks. All right. Cheers. Got it going on. Yeah, she does. Hey, they <laughs> wanted walk-up music. They got walk-up hey, music. That's what you get here at the Two Alex. You, you ask for music, it, you get it. it. Love it. Oh man, feeling good. Yeah, I had a nice little lunch. Good lunch. Got feeling a little uh, hit a little uh, second wind action here. I think I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah, all right. Yeah, I was right. a little shaky most of the day, most of the morning. Too much to drink last night. But, it's the altitude. Uh, it's the altitude. Yeah, it's, oh, it's, it's the altitude. altitude. It, it That's is. what I'll tell my wife, yes, anyways. Yes. Yeah, for sure. But anyways, looking forward to this uh, conversation. Got some really cool technology to talk about. Quick self introductions. Nathan, why don't you go first? Just who, who you are, what you, who you're with, and what you do. Yep. Uh, my name is Nathan Pugh. I'm um, a CTO for uh, Virtual Technology Simplified, and uh, I've been involved in the business for a couple of years now. Um, so I'm on part time consulting, and then I came on board full time this year with them. So. Exciting! Exciting. And John? Yeah, I'm John Schwalbach. I'm the uh, CEO and founder of VTS, or Virtual Technology Simplified. Uh, we started in 2017. Okay. Um, we have been focusing on uh, 3D reality capture services, and uh, out of that developed some new technologies to um, kind of expand the toolbox for capturing. So I, I, I got to understand the name is Virtual Technology Simplified. What does I'm it make guessing, you think about? I oh, can tell you what it makes me think about. Um, I'm looking at the red easy button in front of me, like boom. Yeah, I'm 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 thinking something that has very few buttons, and is is like something I would give to my grandmother if she would need to keep it simple, stupid. Yes, I yeah, love it. Yeah, if someone got it. Here. Someone got it. No, that, exactly. You know, through the technology, we use the services to learn. You know, problems and you know what what how do you capture things and why do you capture things. And, you know, the whole idea behind the app is this concept of crew sourcing. We wanted to put uh, an app in the hands of people already on site, make it very easy sure. for them to capture. Basically, if you can take a picture or a video, you can do 3D capture. Um, but you kind of kind of script the workflow a little bit. And it, that easy button idea is, is, an, is an awesome, uh, you like know, kind of visual of it. I appreciate you gravitating so it's, to that. it's um, mobile device friendly. Is that, I mean, it's designed for mobile devices right Devi design right now for apple device apple device yeah okay. apple device gotcha. only uh, okay. with the lidar sensor in it so we're leveraging lidar yep. and photogrammetry and the collection and processing and the reconstruction okay that's mainly the ios device has like that tech stack and the lidar piece yeah. and like the cameras that are known and things like that so where androids are a little bit all over the place depending which which manufacturer sure uses. yeah got it got it so tell us more how, how is this improving people's lives well you uh Improving people's lives, um, it's a good question. Uh, r really, the, the whole concept uh, enabling capture at scale, right? People that are already on these sites. When we talk about critical infrastructure, it's typically things that are hard to access. It's hard to get onto a power station subsite, uh, a telecom site, you know, those kinds of things. And so this idea of crowdsourcing, using the public to capture things, is, is not really a solution to it. So 
it was more leveraging uh, existing workforce, uh, telecom workforce, maintenance operations people, people that are already visiting these sites. Um, if after the work they perform, they could just pull out the phone, right? It's in their pocket and capture quickly and feed yep. data into the ecosystem. So how is your app different than some of the other apps out there? Yeah, Nathan can probably go into it a little bit little bit more detail. Come on, Nathan. As, the, spot as the CTO. Yeah. So the um, I think there's, there's two aspects to the way that we're looking at the app. There's the, there's the technology piece on the 3D reconstruction and using, thing, using the LiDAR and the photogrammetry piece, which is one aspect of the capture. I mean, we still have to do work where we're using other terrestrial scanners or mobile scanners or drones and things like that. Um, a big thing that we wanted to focus on is the work management piece of it, is how you get people to the site and where are they, you know, there's a lot of reasons things can go wrong. You have to revisit a site and we want to be one and done. So it could be, you know, site access. It could be control codes or um, like lockbox codes. It could be um, the info for the site contact. It could be weather, wrong equipment, equipment failures. And there's all these things that could add up basically that we'd have to go and repeat visit the site and as soon as we do that kind of from the services side of things your margins obviously get a lot a lot um, slimmer right so we wanted to do the work capture piece but then have this scripted so hey guys when you're on site there's no way you can screw this up right here's what you need to collect and some of its photo documentation and then the 3d documentation kind of adds context to it around the around the spatial environment um, and some of it can just be equipment asset tags and things like that that, uh, that can be taken with just um, images. So there's still a lot of images on, could be pre-engineering documentation or post-closeout work, uh, post-closeout documentation, and how do we make it easy for them to, to basically use it. So that's, uh, I think, the work management portion and how that runs into, into having capture crews and having people on site, um, that's probably one of the big differences between what you would get of like a, you know, if you go search like 3D scanning on a on the i or app store now, right? There's like 25 apps or something, right? Sure. So, yeah. I, I think to add to that a little bit too on the on the 3D reconstruction side, a lot of the apps that are out there are focused on on app, right? And processing on app. Um, we're we've partnered up with EveryPoint, David Boardman and the EveryPoint team. We're using their processing engine. And it's combining that LIDAR information and photogrammetry. So we're actually capturing it, sending it to the cloud, processing it. And that gives us a lot of flexibility in how the data gets processed and the resolution that we can output. So depending on the asset type, we can process it differently um, to get the output that a user actually needs as opposed to kind of, you know, one result and trying to apply it for everything. So on that note, do you guys customize it for the individual user? Um, the, well, the individu individual user can customize it themselves. Oh, they can do it themselves. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So depending on what they're capturing, the type of asset, yeah. they can script it out in a way that makes sense for, say, a telecom tower site versus a rooftop site versus an underground manhole, you know, whatever that is. So it, it's it's customizable by the user themselves. Well, and, and the, cool. the one point, like, so where our default processing is at 10 millimeters resolution, we can take the same data that we captured, process it at one millimeter resolution, takes longer, file sizes are way bigger, et cetera, but you can take the same data and get higher resolution or lower resolution if you want it quicker. So, yeah. so who, like, who are your typical clients? We're, we're really targeting uh, what we lump together is critical infrastructure. So telco, telecom, wireless, and wired. Um, naturally, there's kind of a, an extension into wired broadband, and then that gets you into power, utility poles. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really those asset types that we're focused on. And it goes back to this idea that 
typically these things are hard to access. Mm -hmm. Getting on to a substation site, you have to have special training. You know, a telco site, RF training, safety. Um, you know, traditionally towers, you, climbers. Right now, drones. You know, so it's just it's it's these things that are hard to maybe access in the kind of critical infrastructure world. So what was your background that helped you come up with this idea? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. How did you get here exactly? <laughs> that That's a really good, good that's question. A good story though. Yeah, I mean, Nathan and I have known each other since 2000. We worked together at Trimble, um, been, been on the technology manufacturer side. So I spent a number of years at Trimble, Faro, and Matterport, um, you know, kind of in this whole 3D documentation space on that side of it and just got this harebrained idea we could do it differently. and. Um, yeah, so we just figured we'd branch out. I'm 54 now, and if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it again. So figured, why not roll the dice? Right. Yeah. Well, I think on the services side, when they were doing services, they kind of looked at their whole operations, and they were using like 12 to 15 different pieces of software, right, from this crew scheduling to data processing to data capture. And it's like, there's got to be a better way than just continually switching and going from this piece of software to this piece of software. And yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of born out of a need for our own operate, uh, own operations and being our own first customer for the product. Got it. So like speaking of that need, what's the what's the best or the best example of a user case that you've got so far? Like, what do you think it really captures exactly uh, of a user case that you think it, full it, use of it? You think yeah. embodies exactly what you you were going after. Yeah, I mean, we've got a, a few different interesting applications. We're obviously using it in, in the telecom space and, and have partner companies that are have come along there as well. So, I, so in that, just to, just to, so I'm clear, like, it's the, the tower that's up on the hill and you got to go through the lock gate and take a four-wheeler all the way up there. And the one guy that does that once a year, you might as well get some sort of uh, some, some mapping or something while, while he's up there, some 3D imagery. So... No one else has to send us that recruiter to do that. Is that, is that kind yeah, of the yeah, just there? Yeah, I mean, that's the gist of it. Um, in, in the telco ecosystem, you've got tower owners, you've got the carriers, you've got the engineering companies. The con There's all these different entities that, for whatever reason, need to understand the space. None of them share that information um, and all have a need to, to acquire it. So mm -hmm. they either hire someone to go do that or they do it themselves. And, then, um, and specifically within the U.S., like the tower owners are basically leasing companies or real estate companies. It's like right. the landlord of a strip mall, right? And they just lease space on this. So, so a carrier like T-Mobile wants to upgrade their network to 5G in the space. They have to go and figure out, well, what's on this tower? Because we have no idea. Even though our equipment's there, we don't know what the tower leasing companies agree Got to it. and put on. So there's a, it's really like a, a documentation of the ASBEL before they can do any engineering design or design the equipment that they need to put on, put on the site. So, so on that, you know, once a year, someone might go out and do the capture. We talk about a drone and a phone. Yeah. So I go out and document yeah. it for you as an example, and I got a complete documentation. But if that Verizon worker goes out and replaces something, why not take the phone out of his pocket and scan what he did, yep. right, the area that he worked in, and then update the digital twin with the uh, new information? Okay, okay. Right? So it's, now, it's yeah. enabling capture at scale on an ongoing basis of smaller bits and pieces of it as it relates to the whole asset. And does it take advantage of the GPS in the phone as well? Like, uh, does it utilize that for like geolocating these pictures or whatever? Yeah, you'll know where you are. And yeah. I mean, uh, typically you don't need to know with within centimeter level where the tower is. If I know where I have a Latin long, I know where the tower is gonna be, right? 
Um, we, we do do some stuff around more precise uh, geolocation if it's required for tying into control and things of that nature. But typically, if you're within a few feet of a lot long of a tower, you, you know you where it is. It. Yeah. <laughs> They're not hard to find. Well, you mentioned as-building, and I guess the, the thing that just jumped in my mind is uh, a common problem in as-built is during construction. And, okay, the surveyors or whoever wasn't out there to capture that before it's buried. Is that something like an application that you can have the field guys, you know, like you mentioned a manhole example, snapping some pictures and getting some data before it's backfilled and then patching that in and having a better idea of what depths and, and dimensions are at that if, scale? Wait, 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 wait. If, he, if he says yes, you might have a new customer. <laughs> I, I, I was going to say to you, absolutely. We were saying, why not the backhoe operator? Yeah, I mean, right? that, that, I mean, it doesn't have to yeah, be a survey. Anytime crew. a buried utility is exposed, right, you might as well get it an as-built. Because yeah. a lot of the a lot of the times, like especially in the urban environments, remember, like City of Toronto, all their all their utility designs were from the '50s, and they're only the design files. They don't have any as-built, and right. so they'll dig up like a street corner. And it's like, well, hey, nothing's here, and then they they actually installed on the other side of the street, but they have no updated records on that. Well, that's uh, I know that sounds antiquated. That is currently happening today, isn't yeah. yeah. it? They dug up that, they fixed it. No one got a shot on it, yeah. and now someone like yeah. Kent is asked for, "Hey, give me an as-built survey of that thing that we put in and buried, and no one ever saw." Yeah, yeah no, that's exactly that use case, and that that whole idea okay. about crew sourcing is enabling the people on site already with a device they're very familiar with, and just get them to do the capture for you. So I got to ask, uh, but the question is, what would it take for a surveyor to get the confidence in the the measurement from what's the what the guy in the in the backhoe is snapping? Talk to me a little bit about how that. Yeah, like, so we we ended up doing, and this is a little bit of our own technical validation on the engine and using using iOS devices, and so we. We compared it to some, you know, high-end laser scanners and set control of the total station and things in the warehouse environment. Compared, you know, three different uh, three different products, like one mobile scanning product that's like interior cart scanner, um, high-end scanner, and then more like a total station slash scanner. And uh, and the results that we we're seeing, like, you know, obviously with the iPhone, it's not for everything. But if you can get close to an asset, you know, you've got a five-meter range on the lidar. And then a little bit more of a range with photogrammetry now that the megapixels and um, you know size of imagery just keeps getting getting larger. So if you can get close to the asset, we're getting similar results. But if I was if I wanted to prove it, I would just throw a couple of ground control points in, like a, like April tags or machine readable tags, and use those as scale, right? But one of the nice things with the lidar sensor is now we get a scale point cloud out of the out of the processing immediately. I see the wheels turning over here. <laughs> so tell me, how does it function? Like the person out in the field who's collecting the data, whether it be pictures or whatever, does it just get uploaded into the cloud and then your user, your customer has an account, they log in and they have access to all the Here's me shaking my head yes to you yeah. and not realizing I'm on, on a podcast. I actually have to say something. <laughs> um, yeah, yes. I mean, it's uh, if you can take a picture with a phone or capture a video, you can capture 3D. That's how simple the workflow is. But in terms of what happens behind the scenes, yeah, it all gets uploaded to the cloud automatically. Uh, the reconstruction happens automatically. And then the images in the 3D point cloud end up in the portal uh, automatically for, for the it. end user. Got it. Super cool. Talk about the business model a little bit. Is it a subscription? Is it a, a purchase? How does it work? Yeah, it's a SaaS, SaaS subscription model. So there's a, a, a monthly or annual for the portal. 
you know, to house data and information. And then on the app side for the capture, there's a per capture cost. So, and it's um, pr pretty minimal in the grand scheme of what it costs to capture stuff. But every time, essentially, we process uh, what's collected into 3D, there's a small fee cap uh, collected for that. And a little bit of difference between industries, right? A utility pole is going to be different than a cell tower site or a cell rooftop site. So where are you guys in the in the process here? You know, you've got obviously what, several years in now. You've got something rolled out. You're trying to get more awareness or are you really trying to spread more into different areas? We've been in business as a business for, for a little bit now with the app and portal. We just launched this year. So oh, okay. Okay. Revenue and, you know, starting in January with that. Um, well, how, how do you find, what do I just look for e easy virtual capture on the app store? What do, what do you got to do here? Yeah. VTS 360 capture. Okay. And All you'll right. find the app. You can download it. Uh, there's a free trial uh, with it. So you can start capturing things and see what the data looks like. Um, yeah. And so um, we're, we're hoping to get some more awareness uh, around the idea you know, for us, it's we, we think the toolbox needs to get extended. The phone is a valid tool that we should all be using in the capture space, and it goes right alongside terrestrial scanning, drones, mobile mapping, all of those things. It's just one more tool in the toolbox. And I really think the the example of, at, you know, okay, you have, you have this asset put together. Somebody comes and bolts something else on. To be able to capture that and add it into that model, I think it – it just seems like it makes a lot of sense. It's like the change management aspect. Of yeah, it. exactly. How else are you going to get that? And no, you're not going to go and rescan entire sites because, you know, normal evolution of the of, of the equipment changes. And and you might not need to capture the entire site because of that change, or the iPhone data might be good enough to understand the implications of those changes. But at least now you know about it, you have it, and then you can make that decision. Do I got to deploy something more? Because it's a big enough change that right. things really, uh, you know, are, are different. And so now I'll take something else out to do that. Or no, yeah, hey, that's a minor change. Great. I'm aware of it. We'll just kind of swap it out and we're good to go. Well, actually, that was a big thing in the GIS world is data updates, right? So to me, like, this is the next generation of GIS data collection. If you are able to capture it in 3D, why not do it in 3D to give you more context about that asset, right? Even though you might be updating attributes about the you know condition or asset health or whatever it might be but why not capture it in 3d if you've got the if you have the ability to and apparently we all have the ability to in our pockets that's right yeah you're gonna have to get an iphone though i'll wait for the android update <laughs> you're an android guy <laughs> oh boy one of these oh guys. boy oh everything boy. was going so well Sean. i know yeah. i know we, no, we were just, really bonding and then we just diverted it just went to shit uh, it happens <laughs> can i say that yes sorry uh so what else you guys talked about what so you know you get some awareness what's next with the with the group what are you going to do what, what else can you can you get any simpler i think probably like the area that we'd like to get into is um is probably more automation of deliverables right and and this this is an area that we've Partnered with, partnered in the past with, and, and you know it's like utility pole extraction. And to the, the end of the day, generally people want some kind of line drawing, and a lot of times that's two D block. It could just be CAD blocks that get inserted into something else, right? Um, so it's you know depending on the different applications, how do we automate more of those deliverables? Um, deliverables in the different applications or the different industries that we're looking at. I can't wait to try it out. It sounds really interesting. 
I can't wait to hear what you think about it after you try it out. Yeah, I like for the as build application. I think it could be could be gold. I mean, obviously, it involves getting someone that's not in my company on board, but. I think the benefits far outweigh what it would take to, because yeah. you know, basically you got to go and at the pre-construction meeting, like, all right, everyone download this app. It, if the surveyor's not there and you're covering it up yeah. Yeah. and we can't be there for whatever reason, at least get this done. So yeah. if we have to piece it back together later, we can. Yeah, yeah exactly. I love it. Great idea, guys. Yeah. Congrats. Yeah, I it. Pre- appreciate it. And yeah, we're, we're excited to see where it goes and, very cool. Very cool. I feel like we could talk so much longer on this. Uh, Maybe we'll have you guys come back for a full show sometime. Yeah, absolutely. So that would be a lot of fun. Great. VT, yeah. VTS 360? VTS 360 Capture on the App Store. All right. App, Apple All right. only. No yeah. Google. Yeah. I, got it, I got Play, it. I got it. I got it. Google, whatever they call it. Uh, Nathan, John, appreciate you guys thank stopping you guys. by. It's been that great. Awesome. Yeah, thanks enjoy for the rest us. of the show. Yeah, thank you very much. Appreciate thanks. it. Outro music. Was it Stacy's mom? <laughs> Stacy's mom. We're gonna be associated with Stacy's mom now forever. <laughs> oh, that's great. So fun. <laughs> Doke. We're back again. We are rolling, man. Rolling. It's been a good day so far. It has indeed. Talk to some amazing people. And this really uh, this next guest is uh, added to that list. I'm excited to hear his story. He's been doing laser scanning for a very, very long time. But let's start out with a self-introduction, name, who you're with, and kind of what you do. Yeah. Thanks for having me on here, guys. This is really great. My name is Mike Falk. And uh, I started our own company in our basement uh, 29 years ago in 1995. Okay. And before that, I, I worked for a, a large company called Parsons Brinkerhoff. Uh-huh. And uh, the last job I had with them was a superconducting super collider outside of Dallas, Texas. And that's where I got introduced to 3D laser measurement. And uh, we put a lot of holes in the ground and, and some tunnels in the ground. And, and hmm. the federal government canceled that job. And, oh, wow. Uh, I had the opportunity to move to pretty much anywhere. We wanted to go with uh, Parsons, Brinkerhoff. Mm-hmm. And uh, instead, we chose a little engineering company for sale in northwest Indiana. We thought we'd give it a go. And, and a year later, a year and a half later, we ended up starting our own company in the basement. And uh, Jerry Garcia said, what a long, strange trip it's been. <laughs> he did. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about that just a little bit, because we were talking before we had you jump on here uh, about some of the early scanning technology that you were using yeah well the the first one i got to play with was a a cyrax 2400 then the first one we owned was uh serial number 49 cyrax 2500 and uh you know it's interesting when you talk about democratization of collecting survey data and i can remember being a a summer intern and we'd bust our butts (laughs) you can say it's okay (laughs) We'd yeah. bust our butts uh, and collect maybe 200 points in a day where you're, you're uh, pulling the chain down the middle of a road and slapping 90s and measuring with a cloth tape and writing it all down in the field book. You might get 200 points. And we were rock stars. And then uh, in 82, I saw you got to use the first electronic total station. It was a, I think the name of the company was Op, Omni or something like that. Omni. 
And uh, then I got to use the first GPS from uh, Texas Instruments in, in Texas 85. Wow. And the first scanner and uh, the first tracker I used was uh, a Chesapeake Laser, which is uh, a very early predecessor of what is now Farrow Company. Really? Oh. And, you know, I, I'm just at the age where I'm, I, I've had the opportunity to work with some great people and use some fantastic equipment. So I could ask the normal question of how has the equipment evolved over time? But, I mean, that's, I, I guess I'm just curious, like, what's the, I know the biggest difference is obviously bigger, or better, smaller, faster, everything else. But what do you think has accelerated the most over, like, have you seen all this, this technology? The amount of data you can collect. And I started by saying you collect 200 points in a, a day back in the late 70s, early 80s. The first total station, you might get 500 points in a day. Then GPS on an ATV you might get 5,000 points in a day. And the first scanner was 11,000 shots a second, man. And we were rock stars. <laughs> right. And I can remember uh, if you go into the steel industry, there's things called Coke batteries. They, mm -hmm. they take coal and they make charcoal version of it. Uh, and it's called Coke. And it used to take us three to six months to measure that the old way. And the, with the 2,500, we did it to, in uh, three weeks. And now with the modern technology, we typically do it in two days, and we could <laughs> probably do it a lot quicker if the, the clients let us. But there's certain safety procedures they want us to make sure that we do things very deliberately. And, sure. uh, you know, with, with some of the more modern technology uh, that we have on SLAM systems, we could probably do that what we used to do in three to six months in, in maybe three hours. Hmm. Amazing. So like what the Cyrex scanner, what did that cost back in the day? $178,000. Not that I recall. <laughs> that is insane. And I was just trying to pull up a picture of it so I could show Sean. It was like, how big was it? It looks like a microwave and you're pointing it at somebody. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, so how <laughs> these guys? <laughs> um, so like, what do you remember? Like, what you were charging to do scan jobs back in '95, and how much you would charge today to do the same um, exact scan job? I, I would tell you that the same exact scan job, and this is where I, I kind of go sideways with a lot of surveying companies. Um, I believe that we add a lot of value to jobs and at Parsons Brinkerhoff, uh, I was the only surveyor when, when I ended up quitting, I was the only surveyor in the whole company hmm. and I showed them how much risk schedule and budget they could mitigate if they better spec bought and managed surveying services or measurement services, because at best surveying might be 1%, maybe a half a percent of an entire project from planning hmm. phase to, hmm design construction the whole bit but one little bad shot yep. can ruin a day yep yep or a project yes yeah definitely definitely so so what i'm going to say is we try to charge more every excuse we get yeah i like it I like it. it makes perfect sense to me but what, what we do talk about a lot is and i guess we're what i thought kent was asking is all right there was one point where yep. that job took a week. You spent $178,000 or whatever it is. It's probably not. And then the next day, that caught, that took two days. 
was it the same price or did you give them the the two-day fee or the the thing we have several contracts that are tnm and we have i always tell our uh managers bid everything you can lump sum but we have some contracts that demand that we do uh TNM and, and every time we bought a new scanner, I would come in and, and you know they said, "Well, it's a laser scanner." The last one is a laser scanner, but no, but this one's this dial goes all the way up to eleven. Yeah, right. <laughs> Do you get the reference? Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so funny. So point being, and I think I know where Sean's trying to get. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just because we can do things faster, should we be charging less? No. Yeah, that, that, that's why you run lump sum is. They're not going to see the difference. And, you know, and I, I heard somebody say earlier today that some of the R&D that they're doing, they've got a special off, offline budget for it. And um, I don't know about you guys, but my clients pay me to be better than I was yesterday. Hmm. That sure. we learned something and we're, we may have done it this way for you on the last job. That's a technician's job if you want to done the same way. Hmm. If you want an engineer or a professional or a surveyor, you better expect some improvement. Yeah. And here's what I asked. I was talking to this guy last night, um, definitely not going to mention any names. And he was telling me that he provides the quality, the highest quality at a price down here. He's like, my quality's up here, my price is down here. Like he was bragging about it, right? I'm like, why are you doing that? And he's like, well, if I don't charge this, somebody else will, and we won't get the work. Like, that is the most ludicrous thing I think I've ever heard in my life. Well, I, I don't think it's, I, I agree with you, it's not the right thing necessarily but it's not that crazy i mean well now wait a second it's got a business model right now, it may be the volume one, but yeah, volume right fred flintstone had a business model yeah yeah and he provided for his family <laughs> <laughs> went to the quarry every day wilma loved him <laughs> oh that wilma <laughs> i mean I, I i guess you gotta look at it as is it is the quality really really there i don't know just because you say it is doesn't mean anything. The, Usually they... The, the quality isn't the issue. The issue is solving the client's problem. And, you know, if you... I've given this representation at, at uh, professional society meetings before. If you talk to a title insurance company guy that closes jobs for developers, he'll tell you that title insurance is about a tenth of a percent of the project value. The realtor... Or, or the bank, the realtor's going to nab anywhere between 5 and 10%. The bank, depending on how the, the loan is structured, it may get twice as much money. May, maybe there's a balloon payment at the end and they only get 20%. And the surveyor, and then I asked the title guy and said, so everybody's price is a percentage. And it goes up as the value of the project goes up. How about the surveyors? What do they do? He goes, at best, they've held their prices if not gone down. And it, it, the, the interesting thing, if you look at a Title B on a, a, a schedule, a title insurance, it says this does not cover anything that wouldn't be covered by an accurate survey. And huh. so what I asked the guy, I said, <laughs> so basically you're insuring something that is in the past. It's like going into your bookie and say, I want to bet on last week's game. How about the Super Bowl? I'll take the Chiefs. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a good bet for me. <laughs> but given my recent track record, I might as well bet the, the, the past because I'm not even going to be any better. 
But I mean, it's just like surveyors are historically just horrible business people. You know, it's a race to the bottom. I mean, this guy this was a young guy and he was telling me this last night. I'm like, it's a race to the bottom. Why are you doing this to yourself? You're discrediting. It's not even a profession. Like scanning's not a profession. You know, in, in, in our realm, I, we introduced uh, laser scanners and laser trackers into the metals industry in 1998. And because of our success early on, we traveled all over the world hmm. doing this stuff. And it would be nothing to set, uh, file taxes in, in four to six countries wow. and 10 to 15 states. Wow. And we could charge whatever we wanted. And, you know, if you ever take your dog over to your friend's house and they have a dog, that dog spends the first hour sniffing everywhere. Hmm. And it's the same way when you go into somebody else's town and do work for their clients. <laughs> they sniff all over, man. Oh, yeah. And um, so we're kind of in the same place. We've always taken, collected the data and tried to add the value of the uh, analysis and, you know, reporting on it and, and making the suggestions. That's why we call ourselves a solution company. Meanwhile, a lot of the people that have left me, when they were project managers, they said, well, Mike, we got to get that job. We've got to lower our prices. And I said, I tell you what, you lower your salary 10% and I'll lower my fee 10%. <laughs> I never got a volunteer. I love that. right. That's awesome. <laughs> you have to use that one. I I, I think I will actually. <laughs> That's really and good. and so are these guys that left. They they forgot how important the client is, and um, the majority of our competition they get a phone call say hey we need somebody a, a, a tracker crew to come out, and they say great there's a tracker crew and there's a laser tracker hmm. handle it, and we'll ask. Who, what, where, why, when, you know, hey, great, we'll come out and measure everything, what's going on, uh, you've got quality issues, maintenance issues, throughput issues, what kind of issues do you have? And we'll try to dig in and solve that problem. And, you know, the guys that are just trying to race to the bottom have no clue about client satisfaction. Yep. Right. Well, well that, their, their job is to collect data the cheapest way possible so they can give their client something. And say that they have yes. a deliverable, I guess. I guess. But it's not, I mean, you tell me, like, any any scanning practices, uh, methods, whatever, are there any set standards for that? Any quality standards of any type that have to be followed? Um, there are some, but what, I, what I'll tell you is always, always, always have survey control. You don't need to survey every target. Mm -hmm. And typically... For long jobs that we do a lot of, if you imagine a, a, a building that's a half mile long and 125 feet wide, mm -hmm. um, we'll throw control down through the center of the building and not shoot all the targets. You know, we'll put some of the targets, the control on targets. But if you want to see a really tight closure on a point cloud, use a laser tracker <laughs> for your, your control. It oh, yeah. is amazing. Huh. I have never seen the laser scanner outperform a tracker and you know there there are some scanners in here that uh we have consistently gotten under a millimeter when we register it with uh, laser trackers wow can't do much better than that well i don't i don't even think you want to <laughs> in some cases point. yeah i mean in some especially in the machine control yeah. you know like when you're in the machining industry and i'm sure it can get yep. really really down but yep that just seems like very 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 precise yeah well in in the lab we're typically 
this common standard for today in a laboratory, they're trying to get down to about one ten thousandth of an inch. Mm. But it's in a controlled environment, 72 degrees. Right, yeah. You'll never see a speck of dirt in yeah. your life. It's always 72 degrees. Yes. It's always the same humidity. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's like San Diego. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Man. So you've seen tremendous advancement. Where do, you, where do you see it going in the future? What's next? You know, um, I had the conversation with a few people here, and what I would tell every young person getting into the industry, and every old person for that matter, is when you start to use a laser scanner, don't think like you're doing a topo. Think differently. Because you'll see a lot of people go in and measure something and go into the point cloud and pick out a point just like they were surveying when you start to look at all the other data in between, and this is where our company is really pushing things. You know, for instance, uh, two years ago we were here and we gave a presentation on what we're doing in mills with uh, scanning. We were, about 10 years ago, we were challenged to figure out a way to do overhead crane rail surveys, faster, safer, cheaper. Okay. And the biggest expense was no matter how fast we did it, you had to shut the crane down. You had to lock out, tag out the crane. You had to do a safety inspection of the wire. And then you got your crew up on there on the rail to do the survey. Well, we figured out a way to do it without ever shutting the crane down. <laughs> and, you know, when you're in a facility upwards of a quarter million dollars an hour and lost profit. <laughs> so it really, you know, they don't care if you're $5,000 more expensive. Yeah. Yeah, they don't care. No. And, um... Along the way, what we figured out is uh, we saw structural. Some of these buildings are fairly old. Right. And we could see the structural engineers' marks up in the building where they had found cracks or loose connections. And what we found is is that we could see the cracks and we could measure the cracks. We could see the effects of the cracks and the effects of the loose connections. But the really interesting part was we found out that we could see, you know, the, the steel just doesn't rip like a piece of paper. It warps and distorts and it cracks. Right. And we found out that we could see the areas of the girders, obviously, where it's cracked, but also where it was warped and distorted beyond design tolerances, but no crack had been identified. Hmm. So we're taking the inspection phase from a reactive point to a proactive point. So learning actually how to use the equipment and and the power of the data, that's the biggest part. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Super cool. All right. What do you think, Chief? Uh, I mean, great I, conversation. I, yeah. I, so, I got so many questions, but it's a it, it's a fifteen minute interview. So, <laughs> ask away. You can edit it out. <laughs> right. Um, actually, the what you were just talking about, like that. I, I, do you have to get it from all different? Like, are you just was that by chance where you just happened to see the dimension on that girder or? No, you know, most modeling software will go back and check the standard girder sizes and try to fit something to it. But realistically, I mean, I could show you examples where we did a a case study for a client and they knew they had problems with the crane because it squeaked like crazy. And we went in and scanned it without a crane in place. And then they brought a crane in and lifted a a 40,000 ton coil and we scanned it again. And on one side, the, the girder lost all of its camber. They went up and checked it, and they found a 30-inch crack in the web. Wow. 
And on the other side, the bottom of the girder swept in towards the center line of the bay about an inch. And they went up and checked it, and the connections to the, the column were loose. So, and, you know, those don't just get loose all of a sudden either. It, through cycles, sure. yeah. things start to loosen up or they crack. Yeah. And so if you can start to see the cycles where they're, it's warping and it's going to cause cracking or it's going to cause loose connections, this whole idea of going up and inspecting a bridge at arm's length or looking visually for cracks, I think uh, as a profession we can replace. I agree. Yeah, I would not disagree with that. <laughs> yeah. And it just seems like we're, we need to expand what we think we can do with with the scanning technology. So right, right what, now or not. When I, I'm with my structural engineering, and maybe I should call them colleagues and not friends, but uh, anyways, I said, you know, guys, if you're looking for cracks, that means it's already failed. Hmm. It's already passed its elastic phase. It's, it's passed its plastic phase, and it's failed. Is that all you look for in life is failure? Hmm. Love that, and there is a there is a deformation thing before you start cracking. There's a uh, whole you realm bet your of butt is. Yeah, yes. like, there's a lot of room to see things before you get to that point. Hmm. Oh yeah, and you know, so when when you use visualization to quantify cracks, you're basically using laser scanning and AI to do the same thing you did with a wheel, right? Fifty yeah. years ago. That's correct. Just what are you going to do with all that? And, you know, I, I, I was at a conference uh, two months ago, and, and uh, somebody was talking about uh, crack quantification. And I said, so is there a precursor to cracks? He goes, well, I don't know. What are you talking about? And I said, well, you're a civil engineer. Come on. And uh, he goes, well, what is it? And I said, have you considered that there's another way to track the life of an asset other than looking for the failure? Can you look for the the wear, the partial part of it, because even when you go up and do uh, x-ray on a girder, they're looking for the very beginning of a crack. Right. But what is there before the very beginning of the crack? It's the very beginning of the distortion. Mm. Or when they look for section loss, they're looking to see if there's still enough beam to support what they need to do. Well, how about they do an estimate with actual data on what the condition of that beam is and how well it's doing? That makes way too much sense. Well, I mean, if the scans were cheap enough, maybe we could do it, but, you know. Yeah. I, I know a guy. You know a guy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Let me repeat to you and why surveyors are so, such bad business people. The banker gets 50%, the realtor gets 10%, and the title insurance guy gets a 0.1 of a percent for insuring nothing. Mm. Yeah. That, <laughs> for insuring that's... yesterday. But it's still a percentage. Yes. <laughs> And it's always a $500 survey. <laughs> Every time, regardless. <laughs> Crazy. Well, hey, Mike, thank you. You've yeah. been great. Hey, appreciate it, you it's, by. Love it's chatting. been fun, man. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity. Great yeah. to meet you. Thanks. Go Boilers. Here we are. We are still Winding here. Winding down the day, I believe. It is almost five o'clock. This it is like is. if if the work perfect day time could go through like this. Yep, man, life would be so much better. You wouldn't even call it work. It, you wouldn't actually. No. Um, excited to have this conversation. A couple of young guys here. Bring up the energy just a little bit. I'm just assuming. a little bit. Yes. Yep. yep. We've got 
Tim and Jeffrey. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Just name who you're with and kind of what you do for your company. Go ahead. All right. My name is Tim Olte. I work for Parsons, uh, AEC firm. I'm a principal GIS specialist, so cool. I help manage our GIS there. I also work in Digital Twins. And lastly, I help manage our drone team with Jeffrey and some of our other folks. Awesome. Jeffrey? Oh, hey, everyone. My name is Jeffrey Hong. I'm the drone program manager for Parsons. Um, I support all different kinds of operations at Parsons, whether it's on the defense side, environmental side, construction side. It's wow. just anything that requires drones, um, I'm initial so point of contact. All of Parsons? All of Parsons. Wow. Good for you guys. Thanks. Talk about overachievers. We're just a couple of dumb podcasters. Yeah, really. <laughs> where did where did you go wrong? Oh, it's such a failure. <laughs> right. So what do, you, what do you guys love about what you do? Well, for me, uh, a lot of it is uh, the autonomy side. So, you know, growing out drone program right now, you know, we're in a relatively new industry. I mean, it's been around for a while. I've been in the industry for 11, 12 years. Um, but just seeing, um, you know, the, the leadership at Parsons knows that this is an area that's growing very rapidly. Yep. They don't necessarily need to, you know, be overheads every day trying to make sure we're doing things uh, perhaps in whatever way that they might imagine. They give us the freedom and autonomy to go out and awesome. do our own things. Very cool. Very cool. And Tim, you mentioned digital twins. Mm -hmm. Talk about that a little bit. So I've worked on some airport digital twin projects, um, also kind of adjacently helped with some kind of more uh, city level type of uh, you know, work for trying to manage assets better. And one of the parts I like about that kind of tying into what Jeffrey said is that digital twins and a lot of these various specialties are coming together. So, you know, I might have started from a GIS base, that's my background, but, you know, you bring in drones, well, now you're capturing data you can use in GIS. You know, now you're looking at digital twins where you're also managing assets and doing predictive analytics on this stuff. You're bringing GIS into that because that's where a lot of that data comes from, along with them and other sources. So it's really kind of this, uh, it's more about bringing these disparate sections together and these different software and softwares together more than it is about like some brand new thing that has never existed just using stuff better. So when you're building these digital twins, are they for like your internal clients or are they for your external clients or both? Uh, external clients. I mean, external. We're an AAC firm, so we're not really, you know, other than just doing cool stuff to present to others, we're generally doing stuff like we're following our clients and we're trying to lead our clients in ways, but we're doing it in a way that's going to value them. So, you know, Parsons isn't really building models just for the sake of it for our own kind of fun, even though that's cool. You know, we're doing it because an airport really wants to build a digital twin of their terminal or of their runway or of their utility assets. You know, and that's where we're going with that. So, Jeffrey, in your case, what are some of the biggest challenges you face on a daily basis? Well, I'd say, you know, in most organizations, especially like Parsons size, 18,000 plus employees, yeah. uh, you know, there's a lot of silos. Um, different areas sure. so the biggest part in my role that I've, I've been uh, able to help out with in terms of challenges is breaking down a lot of the silos getting nice. a lot of the teams to have mutual resources to work on the same projects um, especially like one of the ones with like some of the folks that you guys met earlier yeah. um, it's getting like our geophysics team normally they find bombs we use the team that finds bombs with you know geophysical classification tie in with the environmental team that normally just goes and digs for oil wells does it or you know digs to do a remediation of uh, mm -hmm. orphan wells sure. and tie in like our drone teams our gis teams bring everyone together onto the same page um so that's like you know a challenge that we've taken and uh, you know built it into more of a uh a collaborative uh what we call it a one person solution where like it, it brings our teams together like it would you want to be on the bond bomb finding team is that something that's interesting to you uh am i flying the drone to find it or am no, you're i walking. am you're i walking you just walk around. You know, my skill set could be used in such better areas. 
man. What do you love about working at uh, Parsons? Uh, I love that it, it's really broad, is that you can kind of create your own career at Parsons. Like, usually when you start out at a company, you're just kind of like, you're maybe on one project, you're brought in to do one thing. But, you know, I've been there about, about eight years now, and you can pretty quickly, it's a big enough company that you're like, oh, you want to get into digital twins? You can do that. You want to help start our drone team, you know, with cool people like Jeffrey? You can do that. You know, and so you can kind of bring whatever skill set you want. You know, you find the client that does it. You know, somewhere, we're, we're not the biggest company. We're, we're, we're big enough where someone somewhere at Parsons is probably doing the thing that you're interested in. Or at least you can find someone with a client who is interested in it and then you can be the one who starts it. Sure. So, sure. so Jeffrey, besides coming to like, you know, shows like this, how do you keep up with emerging technology? Uh, lots of uh, industry contacts. So friends, um, uh, sometimes on LinkedIn, sometimes, you know, a lot of times it's you know, real life friendships, uh, just keeping in touch with different folks yeah. in all different industries. You know, a lot of these things all tie back in together, whether it's, it's pulling in things that teams are doing on the public safety side or if it's teams that are doing things on the uh, unexploded ordinance uh, geophysics side, you know, just knowing everyone bringing together similar technologies and people are doing similar things despite being in different industries yeah. and taking that knowledge and, you know, distributing it back out. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious, you know, being in a place like this, talk a little bit about the, where the technology is going. I mean, you know, we're just a couple of podcast surveyor and engineer guys up here, but is it just getting bigger and having bigger payloads or what, what's the cool, where, where, where's the cool technology trend here? Well, so from our end, I would say the, um, well, the payloads are certainly improving, right? Like size, weight, and power of all your different payloads are, are you know, becoming smaller. Uh, there's more powerful payloads that we can start using. Um, so, Part of it is seeing increased uh, different kinds of applications, like unique applications. Um, other side is is seeing um, uh, how the policies and regulations are changing out different kinds of things. Uh, whether that's uh, you know trying to trying to use more uh, more domestically manufactured air, uh, unmanned aircraft or payload and sensors, or if it's uh, you know depending on like you know, we operate in the U.S. and Canada, or whether it's uh, you know you continue to use some of the things that we've used in the past, just with you know different kinds of costs and capabilities. Hmm. So in your guys' opinion, what role should the land surveyor play in this kind of data capture? Will it be drones? Such a softball question. I mean, also a very dangerous one here at this conference. (laughs) Right? Be careful. I've heard some of the conflict. Um, No, I mean, I think there's a lot of space for both sides of it. You know, I think think, uh, Micah earlier from Esri said it best, where he said there's certain things that you absolutely need the land surveyor for. You know, I have very little interest in doing a drone flight to build a model of the foundation of a hospital that they're going to put, you know, 10,000 people in. Like, that's right. not my job, you know. But someone comes to us and says, hey, I just want a 3D model of this building so that I can use it for presentations. Or I want a 3D model of this slope so that I can kind of, like, understand what I'm even working with before I even get to a land surveyor. And so, you know, and I think it was also said well in some of the presentations here that there's just, we have a lack of resources, lack of people. So the more tools you can put in other people's hands to at least get the process started, but I think you still have those land surveyors there to kind of act as the experts in the room, as the adults in the room, and say, hey guys, you can't just walk around with a handheld unit and think you're gonna solve all your problems. Like, do you know anything about control? Do you know anything about your absolute accuracy? Like that's not, there's still a very good place for land surveyors, I think, in that industry. My takeaway is land surveyors are the adult in the room. That's my takeaway from that. Okay. Let's okay. not forget that. Let's I'll give you that. I'll give that. I'll give well, it to you. Well, I mean, because yeah, everyone just wants to throw out, like, oh, Google, solve everything. And, like, these, you know, tech companies are awesome, but their slogan literally was move fast and break things. And right. you can't break things <laughs> when it's a bridge. 
You know, so there is a purpose to having the adults in a room, even if you bring the young techie people to come in to say, hey, we can use drones for that. That's fantastic. And you sometimes you have to drag the adults in the room along with the children and be like, look at this cool stuff. You should, you should care about this. You should use a drone. But then you still need the adults to say, okay, but I'm still going to verify that. Like, I'm still going to trust and verify that. And once I verify that that's accurate, then I'll start using it too. And it'll be right. Great. And one thing we see a lot of is what the intent of that drone or that data in the beginning may not be the same by the time someone else gets it. And you can easily start here. And by the time you get to the end, probably should have had somebody check to see if that, because who know you know, and I guess the person down at the end doesn't know that the original person that collected the data didn't do it. Either. Yeah. And that was discussed in some of the sessions here too. And I think very well put to say like, look, I just made a pretty model. It's not accurate at all. And you shouldn't expect it to be so. But then five, yeah. Runs down the line. They yeah. don't know that. Th that's so. in a that's in a slope stability analysis report, and they're dimensioning off a snapshot yeah. of that same model. It, I can see that too. Yeah, uh, metadata. metadata. Populate your metadata. metadata. Love that. Love it. Love that. Well, of course, the digital twin guy is going to say that, right? Hundred <laughs> percent. So, Jeffrey, um, what was I going to ask you? Started, I had the best question, and it just I lost it. Well, oh, no, I got it. What role is artificial intelligence playing in your world? In my world, um, so a lot of stuff you know we deal with is, is data, right? So like as you know, basically you know at the end of the day we're drone service providers, uh, uh, internal drone service providers, um, you know, and so what matters at the most at the end of the day is the data. So you know we've been we've been testing different kinds of kinds of methods for you know doing like let's say computer vision stuff, whether it's trying to uh, count animals with thermal, uh, doing like a, like biodiversity kind of survey kind of work, or if it's counting cars, doing traffic analysis kind of stuff. So, you know, we've been utilizing um, AI of sorts, you know, in, in di different different areas, you know. A lot of this is plug and play, like, you know, a lot of people, or not, not plug and play, you know, it's uh, it's a bad data in, bad data out kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as the technology is growing, you know, it's obviously we're seeing more and more use cases. Um, and a lot of it is, you know, trial, trial, error, learning, seeing how we can just optimize our efficiency maybe by just a little bit, right? It might not be that we're going to be able to extract everything that we need with the data, but we can clean up a bit. Um, how does that increase our work or increase our efficiency and, and make our workflow just a little bit better? Yep. yep. Good stuff. Uh, so what are you guys excited about? What, what's the what's the most exciting thing you've seen around here so far? Sure. <laughs> yeah. So the... Um, you know, um, it's it's been cool to meet some of the people who've been doing like the uh, like, like the like the nerfs of neurons ratings field kind of stuff. Um, you know, in person, they, uh, you know, following a lot of that stuff on on LinkedIn uh, over the past uh, let's say a year or so. And um, you know, it's you know we all know where photogrammetry has its place, um, but you know, just seeing how amazing the uh, the modeling uh, features of, of, of nerf is yep. um, is pretty neat, and just meeting the people face to face is you know. Who knows where it's going to go in a year? Will we be able to actually measure things off of what we're producing with, with uh, with different kinds of technologies? Yeah. Do you follow uh, Michael Gula? I do. Uh, He's uh, a rock star. Two D is against his religion. Two right? D is against his religion. He knows. <laughs> <laughs> Love that guy. Love that guy. How about you, Tim? I think a tandem on that with uh, some of the developments, both in photogrammetry and lidar, is both that you know we've been using photogrammetry for a long time, just because lidar had such a high price point. You know, and so yes, some people were absolutely using it, but someone's just like, I just want my 20 
you know, 20 acre site, like, you know, they say, I want LIDAR. And they tell them the price. And they go, oh, never mind. You know, and they yeah, go, but it's hey, only 20 acres. Yeah, like, yeah. No, thank you. But, you know, seeing the price point come down on some of those. And then also some of the processing I've seen here, like, demonstrated, you know, the, the amount of pain that you go through, both the surveyors and just this, us just making pretty models sometimes. Right. Of like, hey, can I pretend that car's not there? It's like, you know, that's actually really difficult. You know, as soon as they say, oh, I want I want to pretend this site has stop graphic contours, but with no buildings on it. And that sounds like a relatively simple thing. Maybe it's kind of like the nerd part of me. They're like, oh, this is the exciting thing. It's like, it shouldn't be, but it kind of is to me because I've lived the life of like trying to remove buildings that turn into pyramids or especially like tanks. You know, oh, like yeah. Tank yeah. Farm, and they just turn into these cones. You know, and it's like, it's just so safe, so labor intensive to turn that into something that like looks nice and is usually compliant. And seeing like, you know, DJI and some of the other providers just come out and be like, hey, look, select it and it's gone. You know, it's like, <laughs> I'm not saying I haven't tested it yet myself, so I'm not saying it's there already, but like already that looks really promising to me to just make our lives like the faster we can do things, the more we can do. And so I'm excited to see a lot of those efficiencies. Yeah. Well, and especially the faster you can do the remove the building part of it is then allows you to do a lot more in the more of the fun stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's that's less time cleaning point clouds. Yeah. yeah that's, that's, a good, yeah, that's a good way time. to look at it. Yeah. You know, it's really cool seeing companies like Esri, for example, like they just released their, uh, you type in what you want to classify or remove. You're like, Hey, I want to count the cars in here, you know, and you can go and classify things or count cars. Um, so you're not even picking from a menu anymore. Yes. It's just, you enter whatever you think you and yeah. You know, and, and, and you know, the technology is constantly improving. You know, I feel like everyone in the industry now is on board, understanding where where we can leverage this kind of technology and use cases, and sure. it's continue to grow. Well, I'll tell you what, Tim, Jeffrey, uh, really enjoyed this conversation. It was awesome, and you know what? The future is bright. I I, I would like to leave it at that. I, I I think I think you're exactly correct. Yeah. Yep. Thanks, guys. Appreciate yeah, your time. Appreciate yeah, your stop by. Enjoy it. the rest of the week. Thank Thanks you. For Sunshine, you know you're always missing out You're so proud Everybody wants you now Hey now, you know you never listen Sunshine, you know you're always missing out